The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hey, everybody, welcome in. Tuesday edition of the Leach Report. Beautiful day. Got some nice, uh, a nice stretch of weather going on. And I think it's supposed to be nice until maybe Saturday down in Nashville. So it is, you know, we continue to lament this. Just a shame that we can't, we're, we're getting closer to normal, but uh, we can't quite get there in time for the SEC and the NCAA tournaments. Um, be fun uh, to see. The, the blue mist descend on Nashville again. And how much of it would, would be there with a disappointing season? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting if Kentucky can uh, can get the win on Thursday and then get the chance to play Alabama on uh, on Friday. And uh, there will at least be that. That will be at least a March moment for Kentucky fans if the team can get them to that point where you're uh, kind of like that 14 team when they had had a disappointing finish to the season. Uh, and had the uh, number one overall seed in the tournament for a matchup out in St. Louis that they ended up winning. So it would be fun to have that uh, moment to uh, for Kentucky fans to get excited for on Friday if the Cats can take care of business against Mississippi State. We will uh, talk Kentucky basketball and other topics today. Kenny Rice from NBC will join us. Vought's views, Larry Vaught. And Chris Fisher from the Cats Paws, uh, switching to today's show because we have Chris Dortch that uh, could only do Wednesday of uh, this week, so we'll get Chris on tomorrow to help preview the SEC tournament. So that's our guest lineup for today as we roll into the Wildcat news of the day. John Calipari did the radio show last night, talked about uh, the lineup with Davian Mintz at the point, and Cal likes how that looks. He... Um, used Mintz for a longer stretch at the point down at Ole Miss and uh, with some encouraging results. And so he opted to stick with it Saturday, and it looked even better. So that's apparently how they're going to go. One thing he likes is that with uh, that puts Toppin into the starting lineup, which gives them a really long and uh, tall team. And so his emphasis to Jacob is to be – just a guy that flies around and dunks up, dunks missed shots. Uh, as I said to Cal last night, he needs to channel the Marcus Lee tape from the Michigan game in the NCAA tournament in 2014. Uh, as far as uh, Mintz, obviously they want him to uh, continue to be able to score. Cal referenced the uh, 2014 team and Andrew Harrison and the famous tweak. And what they were talking about was getting Andrew to be uh, more focused on setting up his teammates. With Davion, that's certainly a part of, of it, uh, that he's got to play that point guard role. But it, it's kind of the opposite, where Andrew was maybe looking to score more than they wanted. They want to make sure that Mintz looks to score enough uh, because they need him uh, to do that while still playing a point guard role for probably – you know, somewhere around two-thirds of the game, and then ask you the other third, and uh, Cal talked about how important it is that uh, Devin 
continues to give them good contribution. The thing I like about Devin is this happened earlier in the season where uh, he lost his starting spot and it didn't seem to bother him at all in terms of how he played. In fact, he played really well in that stretch, and so uh, I am confident he will do that again this time. Uh, Calipari talked about Dante Allen making shots yesterday in practice, that he hadn't seen those shots go in for quite a while. So that was good to see. Uh, Calipari talked about showing tape to his players of guys like Dominique Hawkins, who was an SEC tournament MVP in 2017, of Marcus Lee, of Winyan Gabriel, of Derek Willis, to show uh, guys that uh, you can be a player that is not, say, the leading scorer, but have a big contribution. Uh, Calipari talked about wanting this team to, to shoot more threes. He said around 25 would be a good number for this team. And um, that's been a key for them is their improved three-point shooting. And in the two games they lost, they were 9 of 40 at the three-point line. So, you know, three-point shooting can be in and out, certainly for this team. But it's uh, one of the best things they have to try and ride uh, in the postseason. Calipari said they'll get 30 to 40 minutes probably in Bridgestone Arena uh, to practice before their first game. Um, mostly they'll stay in the hotel there in Nashville. Now the thing to remember is Kentucky was down there in Nashville in a hotel for several days a few weeks ago when the ice storm was coming. So maybe that experience serves them well this week with uh, you know, a similar approach. Uh, we'll see how it uh, plays out. Of course, uh, that uh, trip to Nashville then led to the incredible performance at Knoxville a little later in the week. Um, there's a report that says the NCAA will proceed with loosening the transfer rule. It's been expected, but the rules never actually, or the policies never f- actually been formally adopted. So uh, it seems like it is indeed coming. I think everybody's assuming uh, that's the plan moving forward, where there will be essentially free agency in college sports. And Nick Richards has been called back up by the Charlotte Hornets. So happy for the big fella. And it uh, sounds like he'll be with them for the rest of the NBA season. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. Kenny Rice will join us when we come right back. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Kenny Rice from NBC. How you doing, Kenny? Tom, my friend, I'm good. How about yourself? Doing well. Uh, one of the, the, the benefits of being in charge of, of your own show is that uh, you get to pick the things you want to talk about. And so... We'll, we'll get to some basketball, but I, w- I wanted to bring you on because I, I fear you've probably got some memories of um, what we're going to start discussing here, and that was yesterday was the 50th anniversary of uh, what they called the super fight, Ali Frazier, in uh, 1971 at Madison Square Garden, and I was talking to uh, Shannon about this yesterday off the air. This Would it be wrong to say that's the biggest sporting event of all time? I think it set the tone for all the ones that became the biggest sporting events of all time. How's that? That'll go. That moment in 1971, nothing else, Tom, had ever been like that. Two undefeated heavyweight boxers fighting for a title. Never happened before. Uh, It it was such a big event. Frank Sinatra 
could not get a ringside seat. He actually worked on a press pass and took pictures for Life magazine. <laughs> so so that's how big that was. Not was it, can't get a, a front row seat. There was uh, another and, funny and, angle. Know, I saw a, yeah, a documentary. Yeah, the documentary is great about that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that was, to, to me, if you look back and you pick the, you know, you pick those seminal moments, that was it that set the tone for all the Mayweather, all the Tyson and Mayweather and all those big uh, pay-per-view jobs to come. That was the first one in uh, 50 years ago. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, many would consider it, as I do still, still the one that set the tone for everything else. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sound like the old guys here, but, I mean, there was no, uh, you know, Jim Lampley and HBO or, or anything like that. Um, I can't, I, I don't know if, I, I, I remember, you know, you, you saw uh, boxing, uh, a, a fight like this, about a week later on ABC Wide World of Sports with Howard Cosell's, where you might see the fight or most of the highlights from it. Uh, I don't know, was there, do you remember, was there a pay-per-view on this that people could actually see it live? There was a pay-per-view on it. Uh, I did not see the pay-per-view. I like most, or like most people I know, and like you just said, you know, you watch these fights back uh, 10, 11 days later with Howard Cosell doing the voiceover on the Wide World of Sports shows. But uh, Don Dumphy, the legendary uh, boxing announcer, was uh, calling the fight. One of the commentators on it was uh, the great actor Burt Lancaster. Yeah. You know, so, so I think that in a way, you know, going back to like what you said about it being the moment, uh, you know, that really brought showbiz and uh, sports together. Uh, to the forefront, probably more than any other event that's happened since then. You know, if you, if you look back and see at that time how big it was. And, uh, I understand, I don't know this for sure, but someone was telling me that the, they, that Memorial Coliseum had shown the fight on closed circuit. Oh, really? I don't know if that is, I don't know if that's a fact. Maybe somebody out there listening would know that for a fact. Uh, I remember later on in life going to Rupp Arena. Oh, yeah. Watching closed circuit. Remember that before Darren Van Horn would fight a lot of times. They'd have a lot live fight. I watched like uh, Hagler and Hearns and Duran and Leonard and those fights there in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember going there for that. But I, but that was that was the first time I ever watched closed circuit, by the way, was at Rupp Arena back in the 80s. And uh, the rest of the time I did, like most of my friends, we watched Howard Cosell a, a week later talk about it. This was uh, probably one of the sporting events, too, where um, sports and society, culture, politics, whatever, uh, intersected so dramatically uh because ali had refused induction into the army and so uh there was a uh, you know uh it, some strong opinions for either side uh, and a lot of it related to things beyond the boxing ring yeah I, I think that that was uh maybe the biggest thing about that fight was uh you know it was the first time that politics and sports had really been put out there in the forefront uh, it's, it's done on a regular basis now, but no one had ever talked about it then. But there were a lot of people that considered uh, Ali the radical and the, the real uh, you know, right-wing American guy uh, was Joe Frazier. I don't think Frazier's politics was necessarily leaning that way, but because he had... Uh, you know, he hadn't uh, said anything about the Vietnam War like Ali, and uh, I believe that was the whole reason that uh, you know that people were divided like that. Right, and uh, I know some people that still were against Ali, even Kentucky people, because of the whole deal of uh, not going to the army. And uh, yeah. and, and was, back in those was a, days, that was huge. 
I was a ten-year-old kid, so I was the you know, it uh, was rooting for the the this the guy who was the coolest, and that was Ali always. Yeah, yeah you know what? And that's another thing. I mean, they were just so different in, in their whole approach. You know, no one was like Ali. I, it, I, no. I think it's safe to say no one's been like Ali. No, uh, yeah, certainly exactly. at that time. I mean, he was down, he was on his he was out there doing his own thing, like no one had ever seen. And Frazier was, uh, you know, the quintessential tough guy from Philadelphia that was a boxing guy, and he was a boxing guy, and he didn't want to talk about politics or social issues or, you know, what movies he was watching. He just wanted to get in there and fight, and Ali was uh, ready to talk about anything and make his opinion known about anything, as he had done. And, and so I think there was a great division of those that were for him or against. I think more people were either, like, looking at that fight rooting for or against Ali than were rooting for Frazier, if that makes sense. And uh, the uh, longtime boxing historian and writer Burt Sugar, uh, I think, was quoted as saying, ironically, the loser became the winner, and the winner became the loser because Joe Frazier steadily, his you know, star, stature steadily declined and Ali steadily rose. Uh, that's well put, because uh, uh, Frazier won that by unanimous decision. Then he lost the next time around, the Super Fight 2, and then he lost, of course, the Thriller in Manila as it was called back then. And, uh, uh, yeah, they, they went in different directions. And, uh, uh, you know, Frazier was, uh, I think, a, a really outstanding champion. And, of course, you know, Ali, they call him the greatest. It's hard to argue with that, all the different things he brought, especially to the heavyweight ranks, a man that was that quick and uh, had that kind of movement uh, in the ring that had not been seen before either. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a moment. And, you know, boxing, like I don't think we're going to ever see again. No. Uh, you know, we could say that. I mean, we could almost, Tom, say that you and I, you know, since the Tyson days, uh, you know, it's hard to find, especially with the Europeans, the, the Klitschko's uh, doing so well in boxing. Uh, it, it's hard to find, the, you know, the great American heavyweight anymore. Very true. Uh, Kenny Rice is with us. Let me take a quick break, and then we'll come back and do one more segment. Larry Vaught, Chris Fisher coming up in the second half of the show. It's the Tuesday edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. For the Leach Report on Facebook, show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Visiting with Kenny Rice of NBC. We'll be talking Kentucky Derby before too long, but uh, a little Kentucky basketball right here before this next segment. Kenny, when did you come to work in TV in Lexington? 1980. Okay, so this was it was right after then the last time Kentucky was in a position where it nearly pulled off what it has to pull off this week, and which was 1979. They had no shot yeah, of making the NCAA NIT. tournament. Yeah. Pardon me? No, I, I came in after that NIT. At, yeah. After the NIT. Well, that year, the reason they ended up in the NIT, obviously, is they, they couldn't quite get the fourth game in four days when they lost the SEC tournament final. But, you know, that's uh, that was, you know, Dwight Anderson got hurt during that tournament and, uh, maybe they would have pulled it off if he had stayed healthy, but uh, that's what Kentucky's got to do now is to get four in four days. Um, what's your take on what you're seeing right now from Kentucky heading into this week? Could they have a run like the team did in 79? Well, you know, the thing I think is going to be the toughest for them, Tom, and uh, you know this well, being right there courtside doing your great job as always, is that, uh, you know, what's going to be the mindset of this team in a close game? 
you know, I mean, if you go back and you, know, you look at games like Arkansas that could have been won, uh, obviously uh, Florida up here that could have been won, should have been won, Mississippi, you know, these are relatively recent games. You know, Missouri, if you want to go back to early February, games that Kentucky could have won were in the game. So you start, you wonder what's going to be the mindset down the stretch. You know, I mean, South Carolina's terrible, and they beat a terrible team easily, which you're supposed to do. So I think maybe that's a good confidence builder for them. Uh, Mintz and Jackson, uh, and now Boston coming off his best game. Uh, you know, I've been really impressed with those guys the whole time. Uh, I like the way that Toppin plays. I'm still not sure if this team is meshing. It looks like kind of at times, sort of it is. You saw the Tennessee game down there. They looked like they had it all together, and then they – kind of appear to be strangers the next time out there on the court. So the inconsistency is the thing I wonder about. Uh, can they overcome that for four straight days? And, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, there's a hope out there. It's, it's kind of like, you know, Lloyd Christmas. There's a chance. I got a chance. <laughs> uh, my, our uh, track coach, track and field coach in our high school, used to, uh, would tell me a story about this rival coach that he just kind of admired for for the ability to do this. The coach would uh, have his kids uh, running on their track at their high school, and he'd start the stopwatch about a step out of the the blocks. <laughs> and then when they'd get to the state meet, and they uh, you know would start it, and they they didn't run quite as fast a time, he would say, you know, look, you ran this time at home, you know, you can do this, and invariably they you know would would do it or get closer. Um, that's one thing that I think works in Kentucky's favor is the psychological uh, expertise of John Calipari. Well, I mean, you know, the, I go back to 2014. That's still one of the most remarkable runs I've ever seen in any kind of sport. Uh, I think that uh, if Cal can pull this off, this will be one of his great coaching jobs. It really will. If they can win four straight uh, with the inconsistency of this team, I, I think that would really be maybe his best coaching job to pull this off. But, uh, I, I hope they do. I hope you have a long stay in Nashville, but I think I might see you pretty soon at Keeneland. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. that, that's that's just the thing. And, and I think it's good. It's just one of those deals where sometimes, and let's face it, he did things that will never be done again. He brought in stellar class after stellar class uh, like no one's ever done. And sometimes some of these guys that come in, and I know it's uh, the fans to their chagrin, uh, you know, how come he's not? Everybody's not going to be a draft choice. You know, you and, miss and on some. okay. I think that's okay, you know. I look back at like these, those unforgettables, you know, Feldhouse and Woods and those guys, and Dickie Beal and Jim Master and some of these guys, Cedric Jenkins, that I enjoyed watching play. There's no disgrace in being a good college basketball player, especially at the level of Kentucky. And, and I think that the, the mindset becomes too much with Kentucky, and they generated this themselves about, you know, who's going to be a draft choice and who's going Kenny, to go on to the NBA. Got to get, uh, got to go. We appreciate the time. Thank you much. Have a good stay in Nashville, Tom. Thanks, pal. Thank you. We'll be right back. Look at me. I this is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. I, can. I am changing. I'll be better than I am. I'm trying to find a way to understand. That is Perryville, Kentucky's Alyssa Ray from Sunday night's edition of American Idol, where she punched her ticket 
to the big dance, so to speak, uh, as uh, we are joined on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline by Larry Vaught, who's got a story on young Miss Ray coming up later today at VaughtsViews.com, I see. Yeah, it's, it's actually up there now, Tom. It's uh, it, it's fun. It's a fun interview and, and talk with Alyssa. I mean, she's a former basketball player at Boyle County High School. She's a really terrific shot blocker, which you would have expected with her being 6'2", but she's got such a terrific voice. She sang the national anthem at a lot of events around here, been in a lot of local plays, played Elsa and Frozen, and just has a bubbly personality that is really, really fun and she's she's an amazing talent i mean the uh the impact she's had nationally just since her audition on sunday night it's been pretty dramatic and now she'll be on the hollywood shows march 21st and 22nd and she still can't tell you how, how she did because she has to keep that secret which she said has really been a hard thing to do until they get to the live show if she gets there but we'll find out in a couple of weeks but with that voice and the way the judges reacted to her oh or to imagine she's not going to be in the live show yeah uh, you got that right uh, cal has to uh has to only dream that his players can elevate their game on the big stage the way she did to, uh, with uh with that uh, performance yeah, kind of the difference is she can control hers a little bit more she <laughs> than what Cal can with his guys. And now they've got to do it hopefully four times in a row, back to back to back to back. And that's not easy to do, but that's the box you put yourself in. Now you just have to go with it. Uh, one more note on Alyssa before we move on to Kentucky basketball. Uh, did I see in uh, one of your tweets or something that she's a big U.K. fan too? Yeah, yeah, obviously a, a big a big fan of UK sports. So uh, hopefully all UK fans will kind of get behind her as on her journey. And I, I think it's a lot of a lot of fun as you have a chance to get to know her. I think you're going to be seeing her in a lot of TV interviews and probably some radio interviews, and you'll see feature stories about her because once anybody interviews her once, they're going to want to talk to her again. Just an incredible performance. The song was from uh, Dreamgirls that Jennifer Hudson did in the, the movie. And wow, uh, yeah, was uh, it, uh, Alyssa's performance spectacular? Yeah, it was kind of interesting, Tom, because I was asking her, and that wasn't the song she was even originally going to do. She was working on two songs that said she just was kind of, uh, I think, I think at her, at her dorm up in northern Kentucky, and was walking up the stairs one day and kind of just started singing that song. And she thought, wow, this sounds pretty good. Maybe I ought to do this one. So she just kind of switched at the last minute and decided to do that one. I think she made a pretty good audible there. Well, interesting. Well, that's a good segue then into uh, Cal kind of uh, calling an audible at the point guard position here at the end of the season. What do you think about how that looks? I think that worked about as well as Alyssa changing. (laughs) It worked really well. In fact, it kind of be like the same you tell Alyssa. I don't know why you would think of doing anything else. Now you kind of think, why didn't you make that change sooner and i'm sure cal's got his reasons but davion mince has certainly given them a boost with what he's done because he's been able to distribute the ball but also score me when you can make six three pointers and also get seven assists i would call that about the ultimate point guard performance no it's uh absolutely uh true and uh 15 assists in, in two games and i was saying earlier that i i liked how askew handled uh, losing the starting job earlier in the season, so that makes me optimistic that he'll handle this situation well, where it looks like he's going to be coming off the bench the rest of the way. Yeah, and 
with with going to the tournament, I mean, they're going to have to. They're going to make a four game run. They're going to have to have some depth. But I tell you right now, with the way Mintz is playing at the point, it's going to be hard to take him out for very long and give Askew very many minutes because Mintz is just really too good. Now Askew may come in and play some at the two guard or something, but unless he starts making shots, it's hard to play him there and take Toppin out because Toppin gives you such good defensive effort. There, so I, I've got a feeling when you're in a situation where you you, you get a win or your season's basically over, I think Cal's going to ride those guys he started, and he's going to ride them a long time until they can't get up and down the court. If they can win four games in four days, uh, I before all this even played out, uh, when Cal was really at, at at kind of a seven man rotation uh, before the two losses. Um, I, I, Mike and I were talking. I said, you know, in, I, I just think either a, a Ware or an Allen, somebody's going to have to have a a big game at some point in a four day run if you are fortunate enough to have it. And uh, so I was encouraged when Cal said last night that uh, Dante had made shots uh, in practice, uh, unlike uh, recent weeks, he had been uh, struggling in games and I guess in practice too. And it looked like they were trying to get him going on Saturday. There was one that went in and out that, uh, I was hoping he would hit because I think he can help them because, uh, you know, they, they're going to need to be able to rely on the three point shot if they make a run. Yeah, a- absolutely. They are Tom. And there's always when Kentucky's had successful postseason play under Cal, there's always been that game or two games for somebody just kind of come from nowhere it, it seems like it's really giving them a lift whether it would be a Dominique Hawkins with his defense or Marcus Lee like the one game he had in the NCAA tournament that they've got to have something like that and to win four games and well basically it's almost three days when you sit and talk about that 72 hour period you're going to have to have more than your starters make some plays for you of course on the flip side of that You've got to keep winning each game or you don't get to the next game. So it's kind of an interesting dilemma for a coach about how much do you go to your bench and when, but hopefully they can get a little margin and give Cal a little bit of flexibility and they won't have to just grind through every game. But after what we've seen this season, it's probably silly to think it won't be that way. Um, obviously, Mississippi State could, could spoil all of this with a, a win on Thursday, but uh, until then, we'll we'll talk about the the possible scenarios. And you know, whether it's been here or other places, Cal Perry's teams have uh, always done well in in the postseason. Whether it be even though he talks down league tournaments, his teams have done well in them. Uh, and he um, is really excels, I think, at uh, the psychological aspect of you know trying to elevate you to to do more than you maybe think you can or, or are capable of at the moment and uh that's that's a good skill to have with this team at this moment yeah and, and they're coming off the kind of win where you can kind of do that for a change mm-hmm. say hey okay this, this is what we've been talking about now we got it Let's see it works here and step, step on everybody just like what we have been we're going to do just like what we did against south carolina that's what i knew you guys had in you all year that's what he's got to sell what they've got to buy and they've got to go out and play, but nothing helps you like having two guys both make six three pointers. That no. makes just about anybody's coaching look a lot better, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, um, or I think uh, earlier I guess mentioned the the famous tweak in fourteen with uh, Andrew Harrison and uh, Cal talked about that some last night. I was thinking back. You'll remember this uh, in '97, Kentucky lost to South Carolina 
uh, in uh, what turned out to be Rick Pitino's last game at Rupp Arena, got ejected from. They lost that game, and he changed his starting point guard to Wayne Turner uh, once as they moved into the postseason. So, um, it's not you know these, these kinds of things do happen and uh, can pay dividends. Yeah, they do, and that was if, if I remember right, that was the game that Patino was so upset when they got Petey called off the scene or the awards ceremony they were going to have after the yeah, game job. That's right, and, and 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 his move to bench Anthony Epps and go with Turner was not. It was not a popular move at the time, but it certainly paid off. And, I, I mean, Patino kind of tinkered with it. So sometimes you have to do things. Sometimes they work really late. I'm just saying Memphis looked really good at the point guard these last two games. So I think that gives you some confidence. Whether when you got a guy that can not only distribute it, but he can make shots. That's something they hadn't had at the point most of the season. Larry, thanks for the time. We'll uh, talk to you next week and hopefully have some uh, more good news about uh, Alyssa Ray. That sounds good, Tom. Thanks. You can read the story about her and uh, all of Larry's coverage of the Cats at vaultsviews.com, yoursportsedge.com, and follow on Vaults at vaultsviews on Twitter. Chris Fisher from the Cats Paws is coming up next. We're from the we're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio here in Lexington on the Leach Report Radio Network. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. To the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline we go. I'm Chris Fisher from CatsPaws.com. Chris, Kentucky's had to do something that would uh, essentially be unprecedented because they won four in four days in 1952, but they were the number one seed then. It was just the odd way the bracket was set up. So uh, from what you've seen down the stretch with some improved play, um, what is the uh, where's the optimism meter reading for Kentucky basketball this week? Yeah, I think you have to start uh, with the fact that they've won four of their last six games. I think – Overall, they've been playing their best basketball of the season over the last month or so. And, you know, even though Kentucky hasn't pulled off, you know, four games in four days since 1952, I think the history is there. Auburn did it in 2019, won four games in four days and upset Tennessee in the final and went on to the final four georgia did it uh during the uh the tornado sec tournament in in atlanta and went on the ncaa tournament and then i think when you factor in the success of john calipari's teams in the sec tournament i think it can give you a little bit of confidence but that being said it it's it's a one-game scenario, and as we've seen all season long with this Kentucky team, just when it seems like they're starting to put it all together, everything kind of falls apart. They go on a three-game win, winning streak, they lose three in a row. They you know they win three in a row again later in the year, they lose you know two in a row to, to Florida and Ole Miss. So uh, it's it's a game by game basis, I think for for this Kentucky team, and we'll have to wait and see how they come out and, and playing its Mississippi State on Thursday. After the game on Saturday, and some of Cal's post game comments, I think there was were some people that. Uh, took things that he said as maybe an indication that there's a could be a chance B.J. Boston might uh, come back. Uh, what's your take on that possibility? Yeah, it, it, he definitely didn't close the door on a potential return, but 
uh, I just, I feel like I've learned my lesson, uh, on these types of decisions over the years. There just haven't been many guys at Kentucky that were solidly projected in the first round, uh, to, to come back for another year. You look at, you know, PJ Washington, he was kind of a, a, you know, projected as a mid to late second round pick and had a lot to gain by coming back. And, and obviously that paid off for him. Um, Willie Cauley Stein, I think was, is really the only one that, that comes to mind, um, when he came back after his sophomore year, but he was also dealing with an injury at the time. And as we all know, Willie's a little bit of a, a different, Kind of kid said he wasn't, you know, or wasn't emotionally mature enough to make the leap to, to the NBA. And so you look at BJ Boston's draft stock. I think it was in free fall there for much of the season and has kind of stabilized here in, in recent weeks with, with his improved play, his improved outside shooting. I still think he's solidly in the first round, but. There are reasons to, to come back. And, and John Kelly talked about his lack of physical maturity and, and how much it, uh, how much it impacts his game, especially when he's going to the basket. And so there is a lot to gain for him by coming back. He could potentially play his way into the lottery with another season in Kentucky, but, uh, guys that, Again, are projected as as first round picks. Those guys coming back to Kentucky have just been very few and far between. I don't know if I've talked with you about this before, but uh, I think what uh, becomes a problem at, at Kentucky, and this was something. This is something that might not be as much of an issue for BJ. Is I think uh, John Petty's the best example I can think of uh, because Kentucky tried to get him. If uh, John Petty comes to Kentucky and uh, doesn't make a big splash initially, uh, he and, and the people around him, perhaps more importantly, uh, start to worry about being recruited over um, and losing uh, minutes. And um, I think if you're John Petty at Alabama, you have less fear of that happening, and so you're more inclined to uh, stay a little longer and ride it out and uh boston would be a a guy that wouldn't maybe fall so much into that uh mold because uh you know what his reputation was coming out of high school that there'd be less likelihood of of a an improved bj boston a stronger bj boston uh you you know there wouldn't be as much of a concern about being recruited over i wouldn't think what about you yeah i I think he would certainly be looked at as one of the the leaders of of the team next season, and you know would probably be a pretty safe bet to lead the team in scoring uh, once again. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right when you talk about John Petty. It's hard to believe that he's still at Alabama just based on you know the timeline that we deal with from a year to to year basis. Um, at Kentucky, and and for better or for worse, that's a byproduct of the culture uh, that John Calipari has built at Kentucky. The success he's had of, of putting guys into the NBA, and if it doesn't happen for guys after a year, they're they're viewed as a failure, and and I think even view themselves as. Uh, as a failure, but as we've seen with so many of, of John Calipari's guys in the NBA, take Winnie and Gabriel, for instance, guys who left early and, you know, was 
were looked at as having made a bad decision, and and it's worked out for them. They've continued to 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 chip away and grind in the G League and on those two way contracts, and and some of those guys have ended up sticking in the NBA and and having success for themselves. You look at the year uh, Hamadou Diallo is having for the for the Thunder this year. He's a prime example of. Even if it doesn't work out right away, and even if you leave early, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that 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 you failed. And so he's he's stuck at it and and had a lot of success for the Thunder this year. A little less than a minute here, but you've got a story up uh, switching to football about uh, Jamin Davis. I think ESPN's Todd McShay has him now projected in the first round. And I got to admit, I, I didn't uh, foresee him being uh, picked as high as he apparently is going to be, and he clearly made the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. When he announced that he was going to fill his senior season, some people were left scratching their heads a little bit, but they're not scratching their heads anymore. He's very solidly up into that you know middle part of the second round, uh, late first round pick, and looks like he's going to be the next linebacker with you know Avery Williamson, Danny Trevathan, Wesley Woodyard, those guys who can play sideline to sideline and, and rack up a ton of tackles. Chris Fisher, catspaws.com. You can read that story and uh, and more, and it's at chrisfisher247 on Twitter. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Chris normally joins us on Wednesdays, but uh, moved up in the batting order today. And we're going to get to a quick break. We'll come right back with our final segment. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, and we are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. The Rave On app presents this day in Wildcat history, 1972. Kentucky went to Knoxville and beat Tennessee 67-66 to win the SEC title at a time when you didn't go to the NCAA tournament if you didn't win your conference title. So for all the, the trouble that Kentucky has had in Knoxville over the years, pretty impressive by that group of guys to go down there and get a win to win the conference title and an NCAA bid. Jim Andrews with 20, Larry Stamper, the pride of Beattyville, Kentucky, 14 boards that night. And a happy birthday to uh, Avery Williamson. I think uh, Chris Fisher just mentioned Avery's name as one of the great uh, players in a long line of great linebackers at Kentucky. So happy birthday to Avery Williamson. That'll do it for us. We're back tomorrow for the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to LeachReport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on the Leach Report.